Okay, welcome to this episode of uh, the Online Therapy Podcast with Renee McDonald. And today I have Yanis Panos, and he is from Core Plus and a whole bunch of other things. And I'll get him to explain that uh, to the <laughs> listeners. And um, welcome, Yanni. Oh, thank you, Renee. It's a real pleasure to be along. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Yep. Absolutely. So for starters, because the listeners may or may not know you, I just want you to kind of explain who you are, what you do, um, and where you are in the tech space. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Gosh, that's, um, that's a big question to answer in some ways, depending on uh, the context of it, right? But um, when I was 18, I was at a party once and somebody asked me what I, what I did. And I said, I'm, I'm a social glue. You know, and uh, it got a bit of a laugh at the time, but um, my sister understood what I was saying. I, I actually am really good at understanding how to bring collaborations and communities together. And so that's sort of underpinned where I'm at in life now in the journey and uh, probably better known for uh, my uh, role in um, uh, Core Plus, which is uh, a patient and practice management um, application for allied health providers in particular. And uh, that was uh, launched in uh, 2009. It was um, very early days for cloud. Uh, it was one of those things where um, we saw a big opportunity to actually help Allied Health have lower cost uh, systems, quality systems that were aligned with um, the rules and regulations here in Australia. Um, certainly the early uh, incarnation of sort of, you know, privacy and, and, um, and subsequently where that was going, as well as um, uh, something that uh, wasn't really popular and talked about at the time, but it was something that I really connected with, and that was actually bringing together a, um, uh, a connected system, you know, a system that could actually connect health providers to each other, um, you know, to be able to promote better collaborations and um, be able to build alliances, uh, for lack of a better term, or um, uh, teams around um, people who were dealing with um, issues with their health care and, and uh, the need to actually... Um, uh, you know, work with more than one practitioner. Um, and I think that age is coming into fruition now where um, the standards, the rules, the regulations and the innovation in health tech have kind of all converged around a sweet spot of readiness, you know, to be able to support um, a lot of, um, I guess, uh, possibilities on where healthcare could go from this point onwards. Um, and that goes towards, um, and, and why I was um, particularly interested in getting to know you, Renee, um, in what's happening in the online space, you know, particularly around online therapy, uh, because I really think that's uh, now ready. Um, this, at a system level, it's certainly ready, and I think now it's just the culture needs to come along um, and uh, continue to build off it. Um, so that's kind of um, an edge that I'm particularly focused on at the moment, on how we can actually do more in that space to support, you know, people like yourself. Um, in actually reimagining those concepts around healthcare and or augmenting, you know, current uh, healthcare type um, practices with the concept of online. We've had a number of conversations already about the difference between, say, online therapy and telehealth. I'm interested, I want to throw it over to you now, about, you know, who you service and why and who are those clinicians or uh, practice people? And just wanting to get a bit of a background about, you know, what what it is that you do, kind of just beyond the systems per se, but you know, um, the, just just the general day to day of how you're supporting practitioners move into this digital online space. So the um, 
Uh, the context of allied health is um, predominantly we've been focused on the definition of um, allied health in and around uh, mental health and physical therapies and nutritional uh, wellness. Uh, so it's probably easy to answer if I said who we don't focus on. So we don't focus on GPs. We don't focus on specialists who work inside hospitals or day surgeries. We don't focus on dentists or optometrists. Um, and so if you exclude those categories of um, health providers, we are focused on the rest, um, which also includes nursing, um, uh, nursing um, practitioners who are inside the aged care setting, the disability uh, sector as well. Um, but our, our, our platform was built around initially um, mental health. And our first uh, customers were dealing with carrying around paper files uh, to different locations. And so at that particular time, this was around 2009, um, it, was, um, it was kind of um, starting to be normal to um, occupy suites inside shared service offices. That was a, sort of a trend that was happening at the time. But what it meant is the practitioners had to move around um, different parts of the city. Uh, carrying around all these files to attend to these different appointments. And so, you know, they were offering uh, value to their clients by being in different suburbs, in different locations. Um, but that came with an administrative burden uh, at a, a client record level, uh, the clinical nodes, administrating that and ultimately processing claims. So the concept of an anywhere, anytime health record was the first thing that we, we built. And once we got that right, it had to be online, web-based, easy to use, um, you know, simply at the time it was, you know, had to be as easy as logging into internet banking, you know, just username, password driven, get access to an application and deal with that, you know, deal with the portability of the client record uh, and the client notes. And then, um, you know, some of the feedback at the time started to come in thick and fast uh, around Medicare and uh, some other payers. And so we had to deal with those challenges. And um, in 2009, we... Um, uh, implemented the first cloud integration with the Department of Health and um, did that in a way that um, uh, their technology didn't really expect for it to be done because um, uh, they had never integrated with a cloud system. So all the other systems were desktop and server at the time. So, you know, we've been very innovative in that respect and um, we're constantly looking at what our clients need to be able to perform what I call their core functions um, not all of them, by the way, but the, the core ones. Um, and I'll, 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 bra I'll break that open a little bit in terms of what the word literally means, which is a core system. It's the innermost part of something. And so when we run a health um, business, there's certain workflows and functionality that are more universal, let's say. You know, we, we all have to diarise our schedules. We, we have to uh, keep uh, uh, case notes and, and client records. Um, we need to be able to organise our um, practitioners and our administrative staff and um, we have to be able to bill and get paid. Um, you know, there's certain core things that a practice management system needs to have and so we recognise that very early in the piece and, um, and that uh, was built into our strategy uh, and reflected in the word core in Core Plus. But the acronym um, of core means something to us as well. So that acronym of C-O-R-E, um, literally means the core, but it also means cash flow. So we need to integrate with all the major payers that are relevant to the uh, practitioner community that we serve. Um, we need to be flexible. So we need to have um, uh, and be mindful that there are going to be systems that our customers need to use that need to integrate with the core system. And so O stands for online add-ons. 
Um, and uh, some of those are predictable and some are unpredictable, but our spirit and intention is always to allow third-party systems to be able to interoperate with, um, with the core system or core plus. The R in core stands for referrals. So we are constantly thinking about how to make that easier for different parts of the healthcare system to be able to refer clients and patients to other parts of the healthcare system and uh, really facilitate that, that kind of healthcare experience, you know, the journey of a patient who's moving, who, sorry, started, started their journey with one point of care and um, it's clear that they now need to be referred onwards to another point of care and how we actually do that. And ultimately, the E in core is e-health, which um, is not as uh, utilised these days. It's, it's been superimposed now by the term digital health, um, which I think in part is um, inaccurate. Um, it's, it's in part, it's correct, but it's in part inaccurate. Now, I'll expand on that a little bit. But e-health deals with, um, in layman's terms, it's, it's, the, um, it's the quality of the information that's being shared between healthcare practitioners and the security and the privacy in which it's being shared. All right, so that's fundamentally it. And I kind of relate to it in, in the context of um, when you buy a car, you, um, you might have your reasons for why you're buying that particular car, but inherent in the car these days anyway is anti-locking brakes and um, airbags, uh, you know, collision protection systems, for example. These are things that you, you're not looking at the car and going, wow, it's got anti-locking brakes. But um, if you're in an accident or if you're exposed to risk in the car, you'd be really happy that you had them. And so I kind of see e-health as being that kind of relationship to uh, data and, um, and the idea that you know you need information, you need data around your clients, but on the same token, if that information gets into the wrong hands, you're going to be exposed to risk and it's going to be an issue for you. And so from an e-health standpoint, we need to make sure that you've got a compliance framework in place that keeps your your healthcare information uh, that you that you collect and retain on behalf of your clients secure and safe. Um, and so CORE, that's, um, that's the basis of what Core Plus um, does. And the pluses are around, well, you know, what's the world going to look like next year, the year after? Where is the innovation edge? And what relationship will that have to working in healthcare? And being able to add on, you know, that, that kind of innovation that... Um, we, you know, in part we could predict, but in part we can't predict. It's going to be a really interesting, you know, five to ten years ahead of us. Does that help sort of explain the, the backstory? Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's quite extensive information there. And I guess it, I want to, just for the people who might be listening in, because some of the listeners who listen in are either interested in therapy or therapists themselves or psychologists or general public just really interested in this digital therapy space. And so I'm just kind of wondering if you could break it down like, you know, a few of the reasons why um, people may or may not choose to use Core Plus. I think, um, I think those, that, um, those that have more of a connection with um, the Australian uh, payers, uh, the Australian uh, legislative framework and are more sensitive to those sorts of things would, would prefer Core Plus as a patient and practice management system mm. um, to the extent that they're not GPs and hospitals, as, as I clarified a little bit earlier. Um, yeah. So I think and anything across mental health care, we're really purpose-built for physical therapies, um, yeah. the broad range of physical therapies as well. Mm. Um, 
we're, we're a fit-for-purpose product. Um, anything that requires um, sharing of um, healthcare information um, yeah. and cooperating around a, um, a care plan um, with teams of people who may or may not be your employees or part of your practice, then those are really good reasons to be looking at CorePlus. And um, it's a system that we try and make it as easy as possible to get into. Um, it's free to use uh, up to a limit on client load. Um, so, you know, first 20 clients, for example, um, the product's completely uh, free. And then beyond that, um, we um, ask for uh, a plan type to be chosen and um, we make it, we've got uh, some really super cheap uh, versions of CorePlus and um, and the full digital health version of it um, on the other end of the spectrum. So um, there's there's good financial um, incentives to get into it because you're not actually dealing with um, all the upfront fees and the IT overhead that would otherwise uh, come into existence when you're dealing with um, conventional systems. Um, and uh, um, from a uh, what type of practitioner am I? Well, allied health is quite broad. So if you identify as an allied health practitioner, that's you know not a dentist or an optometrist or a um, you know a GP or a specialist, then um, it's it's the right fit for you. Um, and I think um, where where it's really going to be even more um, relevant to practitioners uh, going forward is um, ones that are dealing with um, not just private practice, but also interacting with um, aged care and disability. Uh, they're areas that CorePlus through uh, its own roadmap and development, as well as some of the add-ons that it's been bringing on recently, is going to be a really good solution set for um, providing services into those areas. Uh, thanks for explaining all that, because I guess even therapists often don't consider themselves allied health if they're counselling or psychotherapy training because we don't get Medicare rebates. So the interesting thing just in that is um, we've now started to get NDIS, so your product may even work for the counsellor and psychotherapist out there that may or may not have previously wanted to use the product if, for example, um, we, um, you know, it doesn't apply to us to call our clients patients or, you know, it's that kind of thing. It, it, it then appears from the outset like more a medical model, even if it's not, um, that that can put some uh, particularly creative therapists off as to, you know, how, how they actually might engage in a platform or product like yours, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I really appreciate you saying that. It's such a challenging um, industry at a very high level because we, we interact with so many different types of um, uh, practitioners and therapists. We, we're aware of all the um, contextual differences um, and the syntax. And um, the more you get to know me, sometimes you'll hear me actually, uh, in, in, you know, say, patient, client, customer. Um, and I'll say it back to back, you know, because I'm so used to dealing with different parts of the health industry that I recognise there are those variations. But if we, if we could sort of just contextualise it around whether you call it a patient, um, the concept of the relationship you have with the individual that you're helping whether you call that a patient or a client or a customer. In effect, it's the same idea. Um, and, and from a technology standpoint, we are building uh, with uh, recognising that there's a human being there who is um, either um, exclusively receiving healthcare from, from you um, in, in the way that you actually deliver the healthcare, or they have a, um, a carer network around them, for example, and so it's more than just one person that you're dealing with. And so we, we've got to have that information 
available to you and you've got to be able to capture that. So to be able to build out your your background, your history, your context in terms of how you're going to um, uh, get to know this person. And above and beyond that, it's one of the digital health things and the distinction that I made a little bit earlier between e-health and digital health. Um, we're developing um, uh, proactive approaches for engagement with um, the um, that the human being that you're caring for. So I guess for the purposes of this podcast, um, is it okay if we call that um, that role, I guess, the client? And 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 that way, I won't have to sort of <laughs> use several words to explain that sort of same concept. We'll say the client. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the interesting thing is, though, that some people are bound by the medical system, though. So this is, and I guess this is where we almost draw the line, even as practitioners, is you know someone who um, goes to their GP, that's a patient. Um, and it, it actually interesting goes back to even how therapists are taught um, versus how psychologists might be taught versus how psychotherapists might be taught is that the nature of the word patient means that the clinician is the expert on the whole. However, the way counsellors and psychotherapists actually work is that you are the expert in your own life and it's all about you. And so in a way, that's what Core Plus is trying to do. If you, you know, engage in the client being, you know, it being a user-friendly um, way of dealing with it for the client but also for the practitioner themselves. Um, you know, I tend to use the word practitioner even more um, as well. And in addition to that, um, I think consumer is a, it's probably the right word as well in this context. So, so you've got people who have clients because that's the nature. Of, it's actually about the nature of the relationship, the professional relationship. And and um, in the uh, in the in the training that I've personally been part of, but also in me training others, we will regularly talk to. It's it's actually about expertise points. So. Um, you know, a psychologist might assume they're more of an expert rather than a counsellor or psychotherapist might not, though a lot of psychologists won't take that stance. So it actually, there's a bit of grey area with client and patient as well, which is really interesting too. It, it really is, and, and, and I know it's really important as well. It's one of those things that um, it, it, it can stop a discussion in its tracks, you know, um, out in the field because it, it really matters to the individual that you're speaking to. Um, but I think um, <clears throat> what... Where, where I guess my heart's at is that as, as an Australian, um, I've interacted with the healthcare system um, in a variety of different ways and um, it's very clunky. You know, the experience for me as a, um, as a uh, consumer of the healthcare services um, is very clunky and I think the, um, uh, there's a statistical validation of that so it's not just a, you know, a sample of one you know, that sort of has that perspective. There's... Um, there's definitely support at a population level that um, our healthcare system needs to cooperate and work better together. And so I like the idea that um, the client is at the centre of healthcare, you know, and um, and I love the NDIS for this because at a philosophical level, it's got the right um, base. It's basically saying it's client-centred care and, um, and that means that um, the client is looking to assemble a team of people to support them and help them with their particular goals. And that's where digital health starts to come alive for me. It's not just compliance. It's not just Privacy Act. It's not just security at an IT level. It starts to be engagement around the journey that the client is going through to um, uh, get them from where they are today or at the starting point 
to where they want to be and to be able to do that in a way that is um, uh, supported and facilitated by the people that they choose to work with, you know, and, and so, you know, developing that kind of mindset is where digital health um, opens up, it comes alive, it starts to um, implement uh, ideas which we've been building uh, along the lines of care plans, um, being um, goal-oriented so that, um, you know, the outcome is negotiated up front and, um, and also being dynamic in the sense that there's a, a two-way communication happening between the practitioner and the client where um, we're getting feedback um, elicited through the, through, the, um, through the experience of support across that uh, timeline of healthcare services or the, um, as we move towards the goal. And this concept is very intuitive for me, um, even though I'm not a practitioner myself, but it's very intuitive because when we build... Uh, software, for example, we are constantly uh, receiving feedback from our uh, user community and we use that as our true north. You know, we use that to actually uh, say, right, what's the next thing that we should be doing here? Um, but we also need to do course corrections because sometimes we will think that it's good to implement a feature into the product. And um, once it's actually released, the customers um, tell us, no, we, we don't really need that. We don't value it. Um, and so, we, we have to pay attention to that um, and we have to be able to adapt and iterate and flex in line with the dynamics of that human relationship that you're having, in our case, between the health tech and the user of the health tech. But it applies, I think, and I'll be interested in your opinion on this, but it applies from the point of view that when we have feedback systems built into care plans and care models or, or client-centred uh, care models, then we don't have to wait, for example, um, for the plan to complete before we realise whether we've achieved something. What we need to do is stay connected with that through the course of the timeline so that, let's say, we've got a six-month plan, we're heading towards an outcome, we've got a number of goals that have been defined across that timeline. Mm -hmm. um, but a week into it, the feedback's coming back from the client that we're a little bit off track, we're not quite there, or perhaps I'm not feeling as connected with this individual, mm -hmm. or perhaps I didn't like something that was said or the way that it was said. Now, rather than that person take that experience away from the practitioner and go and find somebody else, they can actually provide that feedback into the service experience. And then the health practitioner can then dynamically respond to it and tweak or, you know, deal with the incident, deal with the complaint or, or change or modify the pathway towards the goals in line with the requirements of that particular individual. And now you've actually got a cooperation. You've got a real alliance developing, a real partnership developing around the outcomes there, as opposed to um, the expert who is going to tell you exactly how things should go. Um, you're now bringing the individual together. And I think, I think for me, that as a consumer, that feels like the right way to be approaching it. And the tools and the evolution of some of the ideas around digital health are actually suggesting that this is the right way to move forward. What, what are your thoughts? Oh, there are many, many thoughts about that. Um, uh, the research is very clear. Um, around 60 to 85% of the outcome of therapy or any service, um, particularly client-centred type service, um, where you have someone coming to you um, and you're providing said service, um, 60 to 85% of the outcome is about the relationship itself. Um, so, and, and the techniques that you use is only like somewhere between 15 to 30%. That's particularly in mental health and, and the like. So, 
So if that gives you any indication, it's actually, it's largely the individual that might need to change, so you're right. However, some individuals and some individual practitioners are incapable of that change. And also, it's, it's so dynamic that it's related to the actual relationship itself. So some um, clinicians, it will, it, you know, things will happen, um, and I know I can speak to this, where, you know, I do my best to try to do my best, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. And no amount of tweaking will actually improve the relationship. It's literally that some people just don't gel together. And it's, that's at the point where you might have to refer on because you might not be the best person for that person. Sometimes it might be a values conflict, it might be a beliefs conflict, it might be a, um, a, a way of practising conflict, it might be they don't like, you know, I've, I've heard it written, that, you know, if you can have a bit of food in your teeth after you have lunch as a therapist, somebody might not like you. So there can be all sorts of things like that, that nothing is going to improve the situation, whereas there are some instances where, yeah, a few little tweaks could work. It, um, interesting, you might be, um, this might be something to say out loud and for the listeners and for yourself, Yanni, is that you'll always know around session three or four if this is going to work. So it's not the first session, it's not the second, it's the third or fourth. So it's like keep giving it a go until, until about the third or fourth session, then you will know whether it's going to work or not. But largely, of course, it needs to be about the client, but the practitioner can't be pushed around either. I'm noticing more and more, because um, I support and mentor um, practitioners as well, more and more clients are pushing practitioners around. So there's this kind of edge where we've got to be reasonable humans. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because it's kind of... Um just because something is client-centred, it doesn't mean that the service provider, uh, the service provider's needs aren't being met either. So there has to be a balance and a healthy balance. Let's call it a sustainable balance between the needs of the client and the needs of the practitioner as well. Um, the concepts that uh, we're dealing with, um, which uh, there are a couple of acronyms that have been coming out of the, um, you know, the academic uh, fraternity, you know, since I'm going to say sort of mid two thousands, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, but they deal around the idea that um, you're getting, um, it uses the patient word, by the way, um, but it says you're getting patient-reported outcome um, feedback as well as patient-reported experience um, feedback. And um, some of the things that I've seen um, more lately that kind of emulate that kind of thinking are um, uh, feedback-informed therapy, for example, um, this, this kind of idea that um, we... Uh, eliciting and engaging with the client to be able to give us the feedback. And some of that can be contained in a, in a metrics type model. And some of it is qualitative. Like we just want to give, um, we, we want to give the client a voice. And when they're able to express, you know, potentially in, you know, in terms of your statistics that you've got through experience, it might be that um, we get well beyond three and four sessions because we've actually got engagement now and we've got input. Because you're right, you know, I mean, we can't, modify ourselves um, in any significant way other than who we are. But, um, but the feedback could be useful at a practice level to um, help us really understand who I can work very well with as a general rule, um, as compared to perhaps who I'm not the best match for. And perhaps there's another therapist um, who would be a better fit for that. And that way we're, we're actually um, moving ourselves into more of a success mindset where 
we use the term uh, a, a success mindset in the um, health tech um, sector where by understanding self and by understanding our strengths and, and where our sweet spot is or where the, you know, the wheelhouse of um, optimal outcomes you know, uh, gives us the best results, then we know how to select the right fit you know, in terms of the clients that we want to work with and conversely the practitioners we want to work with. So um, that means that we, um, we have a better experience overall. And, you know, in terms of our occupations, when we um, feel good about the successes we're getting with our work, that emanates in our body language, in our energy, and the experience, uh, the intrinsic experience that comes out of that as well. Are they kind of concepts that, um, you know, align with, yes. with, with therapy and counselling? Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll talk, even talk to that. We, we go deeply into that in counselling and psychotherapy. But funny enough, in, in most psychology courses, we won't talk to that. So um, that tends to be the, the differentiating point because if you're really client-centred, you care about how the client actually feels about the service. But beyond that, it's even really getting what they want. And the problem is when you get... Um, government of rebates of any kind and it stops being about the client as much even if it's the NDIS where it's client centric it still is about oh, at the end of the day you know someone approving or not approving said service so the issue then I've always had is I don't particularly want to subscribe to any government funding personally I actually stay away from funding and that might seem radical to a lot of people. And I think in, in, in health and allied health and even counselling and psychotherapy at the moment, it can actually seem radical to say that. I still have clients. So this is the thing. And there's research around value. And, and if you're providing that said service where you're providing value and then the client is actually paying, they're more likely to value it and actually achieve their goals. The problem is if there's no payment of any kind, even five bucks, two bucks, whatever, doesn't even matter how much, the client values it more. If it's free, they don't value it. So this is, it's, you know, I know we've talked Dr. Air about value-adding and all sorts of things like that, and, you know, kind of loosely, you know, saying that here. So I think ultimately if we're, if we're talking about value, um, we, we have to have the conversation around money. We have to have the conversation around um, the client actually valuing the service that's been provided to them and then also working towards and actually achieving their goals and it needs to be about them. Um, and at the same time, it also needs to be with the right practitioner. So it's, it's a combination of all these different frameworks and, and, and viewpoints and, and hence why I've started working towards this online therapy place and why I'm you know, really heavily into this space because what I was noticing is online therapists weren't trained well enough, they weren't caring about client outcomes and that's a scary place. And so, so I think it's great that you're thinking about all that because I think we, we can definitely, you, you and I can work together, but also we need to be talking to this more as, you know, as an important part of the client journey or patient journey is them being able to choose, um, not just go to their local specialist. It might be that that person isn't right for them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that because I think that's um, that's a great opportunity going forward for for therapists, counsellors, practitioners. Um, you know, because I, I kind of look at it from the point of view that um, 
you know, when you look at the population of Australia, there's no way any one practitioner is going to serve everyone. So we need to have an abundance mindset. And what I mean by that is that um, there's going to be enough clients for everyone. Um, so let's be a little bit more selective and let's work on some of those principles because it's good for the practitioner to get the right clients and it's good for the clients to get the right practitioner. So there's a there's a um, equality in that around what both parties are trying to achieve and how and how they value that respectively within themselves. Um, I was doing a, um, a event recently and I um, used a term speaking of some of the language in healthcare that um, was a little bit controversial in the room, but I, um, I talked about the idea of a healthcare consumer and I spoke about sort of four key things that um, uh, um, supported, I guess, my argument to um, uh, think about it through the lens of a consumer. Um, but, you know, choice is important. You know, we all value choice and, um, and being able to be uh, provided with um, a variety of um, options around my service or the good that I'm consuming. Um, typically differentiates from a service provider that just gives me one service. So, um, so it's important to sort of think through your product, like what is it that, uh, what are those choices that you're presenting your client and how would they value it? And a really good way to do that is just to talk to some of your clients, is to pick a sample and interview them and have a bit of a chat, maybe have a coffee and elicit or glean out of them, you know, what it is that they value and would appreciate. And then you can sort of normalise that across your broader you know, client base, as an example. The other thing is that um, we're living in a world where there's a lot more of us uh, that I might call digital natives that have been born into the tech and um, and are really, you know, there is no other version of life. You know, um, that's not to say there's no real world, but it just means that their real world and their digital world are very much converged. And, um, and so the types of um, aspects of uh, service delivery uh, that can be achieved through the digital uh, native lens would have to embrace um, online. You know, it's just got to be a part of the the, the choice, the suite of um, services, the distribution of how we actually do it to the extent that that type of healthcare can be delivered that way, you know. Um, and I also think there's the concept of the out-of-pocket. So to your point earlier, um, if you're going to be heavily uh, dependent on payers, um, well, look, you know, in my experience in healthcare um, and health tech over the last 15-odd uh, years, um, all I hear is how um, we're trying to reduce the cost of healthcare, you know, and that's payer language. So the payers are constantly thinking about how to lower the cost. It's not to us as Australians, it's to them. They want to lower their costs. In other words, they want to lower how much they're paying, you know, for the service. Um, and I think the longer that you're in healthcare, you start to realise that um, if you hit your, um, you know, your, your train, to, you know, to that particular model, and you don't diversify somewhat, or you don't find a way to actually get some premium um, services, um, it's, um, it's, it's not the most sustainable model that could be built. So I think it's important to have it because there will be some clients who are a really good fit other than they're being funded by one of the payers, and that's really important. That's great. But now that we can acknowledge that they are going to be paying out of pocket and people are paying out of pocket, I remember you know, 20 years ago, for example, or 15 years ago, um, the concept that people would pay for their healthcare um, was so controversial and yet we're, we're all the way down the road and people are actually paying out of pocket and they're paying more out of pocket on average than they ever did when Medicare was uh, initially implemented, as an example. Why? Well, there's something they want to pay for um, and so figuring that out and understanding that I think is part of the, um, the evolution in providing healthcare services. 
And the fourth one I'll just add is I think results oriented, definitely. Um, you know, if I'm going to partner with you around my healthcare goals, um, I want to feel empowered and I want to feel as though as a team we're getting there, you know, we're, we're getting the result. And I think that's important to actually take that, that approach. And I actually think that longer term is really good business sense as well because I don't have to then just think about um, uh, delivering a healthcare service to you for six sessions or for 15 sessions and then whatever. It's like, no, we've got a relationship. And that means that whilst it might take 15 sessions to get me to the goal, I might be okay for a couple of years. But then if something resurfaces or I've got another issue that needs your support, I'm coming back to you because I've got the relationship with you. And so from a, a longevity standpoint, you can build your clientele and your client base by having that long-term sort of mindset around it as well. Is that, that resonating with you? That really fits in with the long-term therapy perspective too. It's all yep. about the relationship. So the Jungian and Adlerian and um, any kind of psychodynamic approach is all about the relationship. Um, and same with um, the, the long-term client-centred or person-centred model from Roger, Rogers and Rogerian approach. Um, they're all about the relationship. However, unfortunately, the CBT model isn't, and that's actually what the government pays for, and this is where it's at odds, and that's the issue. And hence, you know, a patient-led model is actually more an expert-led model, yeah? And so this is kind of where, where the, the fine line actually is right there in relationships and relationship building. And, um, and long-term therapists really value relationship building that talk about that at length in relation to um, their studies but clients you know um, it, it, you know other practitioners um, it, it kind of is is meant to be walking the walk and talking the talk not just saying okay I am um, uh, you know today going to deal with this client and then tomorrow I'll forget about them yeah. Um, it's it's actually trying to engage with that person, and if if they go off and do their life for a while, then want to come back in a year or two's time, like you mentioned, great. Um, the whole point is that the door's always open. That's one of my sayings. I say to all of my clients, is the door's always open, and I think that's kind of really important to if you're if you're if you feel like your practitioner's just done with you, what if you have a life crisis? Who will you turn to again? That's right. Yeah. So, so that's kind of really important to just put out there for people to consider. Do you feel comfortable going back to that same therapist? And if not, get another one. Mm. I, think, I think that's um, it's really important to bring that home. And maybe um, it's because I uh, lived uh, and was raised in a time where we didn't have the internet and then I embraced it, fell in love with it and um, massively consumed it and, you know, identify more as a digital native these days. But... Um, but the reality is that, uh, you know, where my parents come from, um, you know, we, we were raised in small villages. And in the village, we all had roles to play. And they were lifelong, enduring roles. And, um, and so, you know, the, um, the community functioned. I think, we, I think when internet was sort of, you know, starting to move from web 1.0 to web 2.0, um, which was sort of more richer media and, you know, getting a little bit more fancy in the way that the, the information was being presented, we started, um, uh, you know, thinking that everything was just going to be directories, you know, and you could just you could just look up a title, and you're going to get exactly the same service across, you know, that title, and it just doesn't work that way. And I think, you know, we need to really just 
get back to the basics, which is notwithstanding that tech offers a great deal of um, enhancement, it doesn't replace the real world. It doesn't replace family. It doesn't replace community. It doesn't replace relationships. And so, you know, um, having that in mind, so it's not this arm's length, um, you know, customer who's getting a service and, um, and, you know, if they show up, they're complying. It's like, no, um, it's a real human being and so are you. And, you know, you've got a relationship to develop over time. Um, and sometimes the, the, you know, the right um, part of that relationship where to say, I'm not for you right now, but I'm going to introduce you to somebody. And conversely, that will be reciprocated back to you because everybody's acting in the best interests of, you know, the client in that, in that respect. But building this relationship over time, I think we need to get back to that in some way, if not already um, for some of your uh, listeners. It's, it's the idea that if the city gets bigger and the population gets bigger, it doesn't mean that we still don't have a community. We've got a community. Um, we've just got to be local and vocal and connect with that. And I suppose the context of local takes a bit of an edge um, of, um, um, you know, innovation where we say now, well, you know, online we can be local in a different context, you know, so it's not just literally confined to our postcode, but we could be global if we wanted, or we could be uh, Victoria-wide or, you know, Australia-wide or whatever the case, you know, you can set that up. And we've been thinking that through a lot at Core Plus, and we've actually um, have developed a, um, uh, a basis for which healthcare practitioners can um, set themselves up for um, online um, counseling and online consultation and online therapy um, but do it in a way where it's not just a video uh, call but it's actually a, um, a, a community-based approach where the collaborations with other points of care are facilitated as well as the ability to publish yourself you know so that you can actually say uh, my name is Yanni and I provide these services from this location um, these are my areas of specialization and these are the areas that I provide services to. And um, the particular um, exciting factor about that particular innovation for us is that that's not like a white pages directory. We're not, you're not publishing that to anyone. You're publishing it to other health providers who are simultaneously connected to the network. And so what that means is that um, you're going to be part of a uh, recognised referral stream where people start to build relationships with you. So you're not just the title but you're, you're um, a real person who's got a name who has certain um, specialisations or areas that uh, they're interested in um, or know that they're really strong with. And, um, and you're, building that, that, um, you're building that collaboration or you're building that rapport between um, other practitioners who are in different areas, um, perhaps even different disciplines, who are now forming a relationship with you that's, that's more than just a title. You know? so, so we're not just looking up a counsellor, we're looking up Renee, who specialises in these particular areas, and um, and I'm forming a human relationship with you now through that process. And when I refer you one client and I get good feedback, then you're going to be the person that I'm coming to more often than not when I need to refer, you know, these similar type of um, uh, client cases onto onto your good self, you know. And that starts to bring that kind of um, community vibe into the online space, so that we can we can still be innovative with um, either becoming fully uh, virtualised clinics or potentially, um, you know, um, enhance our, our private practices into extending, you know, into online counselling. But we don't necessarily need to um, be anonymous or be, you know, 
just sort of, you know, digital titles on, on the end of that. We can still be human. We can still build that human connection. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That's fascinating too. And, and, and we could probably talk all day about so many of these different things because it sounds like you've really thought so deeply about not only Core Plus but all the different add-ons and different things that you're providing. So um, we're out of time. And that that went fast. Yeah, it has. Um, so um, I'm wondering if you could tell um, the listeners how to find you or um, how to contact you, particularly if they're a practitioner. It sounds like really you really are practitioner-led um, in terms of the services you're providing, obviously thinking about the client being the end user, yes. however, really um, being practitioner-led and practitioner-servicing. So how would a practitioner um, contact you and um, what should they do? Okay, so um, there's um, two invitations I'd extend. One would be that... Um, if they want to uh, trial or experience Core Plus, to just simply come to the website, coreplus, C-O-R-E-P-L-U-S dot com dot A-U. And um, we have a customer service team that's available six days a week. Um, we can deal with any um, inquiries. There's a little uh, chat bubble on the bottom right-hand side of the web page, as well as the application as well. So that uh, puts you in real-time connection with, um, with our team. Uh, they can uh, walk you through um, how to do stuff inside the product, set up demos for you, um, uh, answer any questions you have, you know, uh, in, it, because CorePass interacts with a lot of different systems in the, um, in the healthcare uh, realm, so we can sort of talk about a lot of different things, including secure messaging, including um, uh, enabling the um, online uh, practice using uh, telehealth capabilities as well. Um, those kinds of things are all um, open for discussion, uh, either through the website or start a trial and actually um, start working with the tools for free and start to experience it. Uh, for my part, if people want to connect with me, I love talking about um, health tech and um, healthcare innovation. Um, and so probably the best avenue would be, um, if you forget this detail, um, uh, Come to LinkedIn, for example, um, and look up Yanni Sopanos. Um, it's Y-I-A-N-N-I-S-E-R-P-A-N-O-S. Um, or alternatively, um, again, just ask one of the team at CorePlus and they'll provide those um, details. And that way we can uh, direct message or um, organise an appointment to have an online uh, call and um, have a bit of a chat. Um, so it doesn't necessarily need to be about CorePlus. It doesn't need to be about uh, software per se. I'm really a student of um, the health tech and healthcare industry and I love finding out more about it um, and I love sharing, you know, thoughts and collaborate around ideas and exploring different possibilities uh, as well. So I'd actively encourage people to, um, you know, engage with me directly if they'd like. Um, thanks so much for coming on and for your time today, Yanni. It's been a fascinating conversation as, as usual. We've had a number of conversations offline but... Um, Wow, this has been um, also informative for me to just hear even more detail about what you provide and how it's been provided. And um, I'd actively encourage people to contact you. Um, uh, I'll just put it out there, you're very personable and, um, and uh, you know, easy to talk to. So um, if you need to clarify anything that 
Yanni has said, um, I feel like he, he, he really would be um, uh, happy to talk to you uh, based on how I've found you, Yanni, so I'll say that too. Uh, and so thank you for your time and um, um, maybe we'll end up having you back on, but um, we'll, we'll see what the future holds and um, and um, make sure you take care, Yanni. And, um, Thanks, Renee. It's been-